1: You're listening to an Irreverent podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from my fabulous friends. Hey, Bad Apples, Adrian here. Before the episode runs, I just wanted to take a moment to hop on a mic and, and say a few things. At the time of this episode uh, releasing, it would be just four days from a terrible incident that took place in Colorado Springs. For those that are unaware, there was a mass shooting at a queer bar called Club Q where a lone gunman opened fire and injured dozens and killed 5 two of which were trans folks from what i'm reading and all of this fell on the eve of transgender day of remembrance 2022 which is a day dedicated to honoring the memory of transgender folks whose lives are lost to anti-trans violence for the queer bad apples listening to this show i um i just felt remiss if i didn't kind of say something and, and i don't really how much to say I, I can't begin to imagine the grief and the fear that you might be experiencing i can't imagine how scary of a time it must be just to exist in this country or, or really any country that kind of spouts this homophobic, homophobic transphobic bigotry um and again I, I don't really have anything great to offer in this moment um but i just wanted to say i'm so so sorry You deserve so much better than this. You deserve to be safe and accepted. You deserve to be loved and cherished. So much of kind of the dirty, rotten church kids thing in the show is kind of calling out these sort of terrible conclusions that get drawn from, it's like this inevitable outturn of this shitty dogma and theology and hateful rhetoric that we experienced within evangelicalism. I don't know. I just wanted to take a minute and say, I'm so sorry that you're loved and, and you're seen to the bad apples that maybe don't identify as queer, I hope that this can be an opportunity or a challenge or a wake-up call. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, an opportunity to call out bigotry and hatred when you see it. I mean, at the time of the episode dropping, right, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. It's like National Cringy Conversation Day here in the US. Stomp that shit out when you hear it because homophobic and transphobic language leads to queer violence. It's it's that simple. So That's kind of all I have. I just wanted to say once again that I stand with you and that you're loved. I'm going to drop some resources in the show notes that national resources as well as Colorado-specific resources that are designed to help the victims of the Colorado spring shooting. And, you know, we're going to continue doing what we do, holding systems of power accountable and people in positions of power accountable and calling out bullshit when we see it, whether it's from the pulpit or from some politician. Anyway, that's all I had. Thanks again for listening. You're loved. And with that, on with the show. Hey, everybody. My name's Adrian. And if you're listening to this silky, silky, smooth voice, you know what it is. You got yourself another episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Hello, everyone listening out there. It is the month of November, year of our Lord, 2022. And i uh, feeling pretty okay. Well, crippling anxiety with the state of our country and general kind of nausea over just the. The inevitable doom of our the collapse of society. But aside from that, I'm feeling really, really good, and I feel especially good because of my guest and guest co-host. So, uh, my guest and guest co-host this week is the content creator behind Talk Purity to me on Instagram and TikTok. Friend of the show for over two years now, going on three years, and a friend of mine. Let's give it up for Blair. Hello.
2: Hello. Thanks so much for having me on.
1: I mean, it took us long enough, huh?
2: I know. Real ones know that I was mentioned <laughs> early days of the podcast.
1: <laughs> you have truly been an exi- You are the t- definition of an A1 since day one. <laughs> uh, so it really means a lot that you would take this time to, to hang out with me.
2: Yes. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Where are you located? V- vaguely?
2: Yeah, I'm in the Greenville, South Carolina area, home of Bob Jones University.
1: Born and raised, or
2: uh, no? Actually, I'm from Georgia, but that's, okay. I live in South Carolina now.
1: Got it. Is it like very Bible belty where you're at?
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's like. So I literally work minutes away from Bob Jones. If people don't know about Bob Jones, Google it. I promise <laughs> you'll you'll get the gist in three seconds. It's like it's just a very very conservative Christian school.
1: Do you ever interact with people who clearly are from Bob Jones or not so much?
2: Oh yeah. All the time. And can you tell? Yeah.
1: Any telltale signs of like i a...
2: um, just... I'm
1: trying to, I'm trying to articulate a uniform Blair. Is there a uniform? <laughs> a <haircut? It's laughs>
2: like kind of like slightly out to date, out of date clothing, you know, and it like might be a little, I don't want to offend anyone, you know, their stores are great, but you know, when you can tell someone like, They haven't cultivated a personal style because their religion hasn't allowed them to. And so (laughs) they just are wearing things that's like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. Just very like a veneer of joy. But you can kind of see through that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing like a good joy veneer. That's the best. (laughs) That's the best. Is the outfit. Okay. And again, I'm sorry that I'm, I'm banging this drum, but I'm genuinely curious. Is it like you're not trendy at all? Or is it like Nashville sexy, which is like trendy for 2011?
2: No, not trendy at all. Okay.
1: Okay. Just curious.
2: Kind of like Duggars light. I would Uh, say it's like not quite there. Cause I mean, women do wear pants. They've been allowed to wear pants since like 2017 and I'm not joking. Wait, what? No, it's a thing. Like, I know people who were only a little bit younger than me who went to Bob Jones, and while they were there, it went from girls cannot wear pants to girls can wear pants. Like, Wow.
1: 2017. Yeah. The year of progress for women. <laughs> at long last, Blair, they did it.
2: So, yeah that's Bob Jones. Okay. okay. <laughs> all
1: right. So, all right. So now that I can kind of locate you geographically as well as where you sit within a, a cultural uh, ecosystem, let's proceed with the conversation. Sorry, I <laughs> went on, a, on, a, on a, a side quest. No, you're good. So I want to jump in and, and we have a whole topic that I want to talk about, but there are people who know of you because I have talked about you, but they, or perhaps they follow you, but there also might be listeners who don't know who you are. So I think if it'd be cool with you, let's just start from the top. Tell me, were you a church kid? And if so, what did that look like for you within your framework?
2: I was definitely a church kid. I feel like like the definition of a church kid. My parents met each other at church. Nice. My mom was the church pianist. My dad was like a deacon and he was like director of Sunday school. I went to a really oh. Southern Baptist church. There was no like church. Band, contemporary Christian music—it was all hymns, you know. It wasn't; it was not like a contemporary church at all. Uh, at least, like the first part of my growing up, homeschooled for like all of elementary school with Bob Jones curriculum, of course.
1: Oh man, pants not included. God forbid.
2: Pants were allowed. My mom was like slightly feminist, which oh, was a little, a little weird for where we lived, and but she you know, got her education. She went off on her own a little bit. And so she had that feminist edge. You know, we don't talk about it at church, but you know, here's the deal. Like, yeah, yeah. cool, cool. So p- pants were cool at my house.
1: Okay, cool. But if the homeschooling authors of that curriculum knew, then they probably were not co- cool with it.
2: Probably not. And some people <laughs> that I was homeschooled with, their families didn't allow them to wear pants. So
1: Got it. Okay. All right. All right. Sorry. This has been the, your pants moment with Adrian Gibbs. I keep <laughs> just banging the same drum.
2: Tell me about pants. Pants, pants, pants.
1: Talk pants to me. Okay. <laughs> Next. Sorry. Continue.
2: Um, so that was kind of like early years. We lived in a really small town. A little later on, we moved to a slightly bigger, more suburban town, and I started going to a house church, which was super charismatic. So that was totally different. My parents didn't go to that house church with me. Basically, it was in my best friend's house. So it was kind of like if I went over to her house on a Friday night, that was house church night. It wasn't like I was just there because I wanted to see my friend. Like once it started, I was like all in. I was like so bought into the whole thing. So that's kind of where like the charismatic sort of thing came into my life around like age 13.
1: That's a lot of diversity when it comes to a religious experience, right? So Southern Baptist with hymns, near mm-hmm. a electric guitar to be seen. And then you went to a charismatic experience. Was that like what speaking in tongues and like, yeah, playing the same songs over and over again for a while, Yeah,
2: like laying on of hands, prophecy, dreams.
1: Did you ever do the, the, the Holy Spirit laughter?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: you did. Have you? I remember the first time I even witnessed. That I thought it was a joke. Like I didn't think Yeah. It was real. It did stress me out a little bit.
2: I don't think that I wasn't like like I've seen people do it where it's like you're literally laughing for hours. It was never like that for me, but I experienced like a version of that, I guess.
1: Sure, like a giddy euphoria. For those of you listening who don't know, there is a uh I guess a denomination of Christianity where like the Holy Spirit makes you just get the silly, silly fun times. And then you just kind of cackle and giggle. That's, that's what that is. And it's
2: kind of like a Bethel, IHOP sort of thing. So if you, obviously didn't go to Bethel, I didn't go to IHOP, but those two churches or ministries were really influential in the house church that I went to. So.
1: IHOP being International House of Prayer. Yes. Not to be confused with the delicious breakfast.
2: <laughs> That's true. I guess I should <laughs> specify because not. I mean, you, I know
1: you and I know. Yeah, you and I know exactly <laughs> what it is. But we have like, I'm sure we have have like Catholic listeners who are like, "Why are They're they like, like, talking about okay. breakfast?" Okay. <laughs> okay. So you went to the Southern Baptist Church. You started attending. Uh, did you call this? house church like your church or was this just kind of like part of the overall christian experience that you participated in it
2: was very much like my church so i would still sometimes like go to this other church where my parents were members but that that church was very much supplemental to like my church which was the house church that was like everything to me that was my whole life that was like at the time, felt really good about being there, and yeah, so it was like my whole world, pretty much.
1: And the house church, if from what I know about house churches and have experienced by house churches, probably wasn't that big of a crew.
2: No, it was like I would say probably five to six families okay. were like the main ones. My family, again, my family was not a part of it. So it was like I would say maybe thirty-ish people any given friday
1: i mean that's actually a pretty big turnout for a house church yeah in my experience
2: i will say like it was a really big house like my best friend's <laughs> house was really like a nice house so it was like <gasps> okay it didn't okay. feel like i know probably some, it didn't feel packed no like i know some okay. house churches probably meet in like really small houses but sure just for context, it was like, it was like separate rooms, like the youth ministry could like break off into their Dang. own. It was like a, like a huge house.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. We're like, we're like, not a house. We're not just a house church. We're like a big house. It's church.
2: It's a big house church. <laughs> this
1: is like the, the Lux experience. Okay. No, got it, got for
2: it, got it, got it.
1: real. <laughs> and how did this compare to your Southern Baptist? Was that a big church? Or was that also kind of a family kind of smaller church?
2: Um, It was probably like 100, 150
1: So not certainly not a tiny church. No, but not a mega church.
2: No, it was like it was the first Baptist church of insert the name of the town that I lived in. It was like so it was the main church that everybody went to if you lived in this town.
1: Got it. Got it. So then Blair, like talk to me about like you're a church kid and you're becoming a, a church teenager. How far did you go? down kind of like the evangelical trajectory like was that your thing or did you kind of was it just kind of uh i don't know like a added flavor to what you wanted to do with your life
2: no i wanted to be a missionary i was trying to figure out what that looked like like what major in college would best help me be a missionary interesting yeah i was all about it i, I mean I pictured myself like being a missionary, you know, finding someone else who wanted like a, a guy who wanted to be a missionary, being missionaries together, like the whole that's the dream, the whole thing. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's like the Disney princess of evangelicalism. It
2: really is, isn't it? <laughs>
1: it's like it
3: totally is.
2: You either want to be like a pastor's wife or a missionary yeah. wife or yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, however many things there are, you know, <laughs> maybe just like. You want to marry the operator of a Chick-fil-A? Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, like a, that's like a couple of tears down, but it's still, it's still valid. It's, it's, it's still, still valid. up there.
2: <laughs> They're close on Sunday, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, so you, you were really trying to like build your framework. It's it centered around your Christianity. And so like as you were, and I'm sure this is a, a super abridged, mega-consolidated, version of your story. But talk to me about when did things start to change? Like what, when did that start to shift?
2: I was around age, probably 21 22. You know, I was about to graduate from college, I struggled a lot with anxiety, really, like all growing up, but especially in college, I just felt like it kind of got worse. And I, I remember the first time I had a panic attack at church. I just like couldn't breathe. And I was like, it was like a, I'm fairly certain it was a panic attack. I was never encouraged to like get any kind of medical diagnosis or anything because everyone around me was just like, this is an attack of the enemy. And I was like, Mm. okay, all right, that's fine. I guess I'll just go with that. But I just started like church was just not, it was becoming an uncomfortable place for me. And I didn't understand why, but I was like, just sort of slowly started drifting away. You know, I started going to like this other house church that I had found in my college town. I started going like less and less, but it was kind of like, it was a very slow burn. Like I know a lot of people have these like epiphanies where they just like realize the church isn't true or they don't align with it or they realize, you know, the way that Queer people are treated in the church as terrible and they don't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, I kind of wish I could say that was my story, but it's not. Because it was kind of like, all right, I don't go to church as much anymore, but I'm still a Christian, guys. Like, don't worry. Still a Christian. Still love Jesus. Still pray, read my Bible, all this stuff. And then it kind of got to be like, "Eh, I'm not reading my Bible as much anymore, but don't worry. I'm still a Christian. Still have Bethel CD in my, CD player in my car. That means I'm still a Christian, you know? And it was just like that slow kind of, you know, then it wasn't, I wasn't praying anymore. It was
1: was like a gradual cooling of the kettle. Yeah. Just, okay.
2: And just what, and then just, I mean, who knows? Like, you never know, like the last day that you're going to pray.
1: Wow. Holy shit. I'm like actively trying to think the last time I like sincerely prayed. I'm going to have to chew on that one for a while. Thanks, Blair. (laughs)
2: But then, (laughs) yeah, yeah, writing that one down. I just realized it wasn't a part of my life anymore at all, Mm. and I was happy.
1: Mm. Was there any sort of correlation between the panic attacks and your evangelicalism, or was it just something that you just never really got a chance to uh, explore and look into and and work on or work with because of your evangelicalism?
2: I never really got a chance to like explore that. Because yeah, I just really wrote it all off as an attack of the enemy, and didn't really allow myself to explore it at all.
1: Mm-hmm. And when you finally like stopped going to church, what was the community situation like for you? I mean, if you're I'm hearing like very kind of close knit, kind of small. Everybody knows everybody because we're all in the same living room slash huge foyer area. I don't know what this, what this massive mansion looks like what did community turn out to be or what happened in that when you left
2: you know I graduated from college I hung around in my college town for maybe six months after graduation and then I moved to Maine which is not but like at least okay I lived in Portland Maine so there are parts of Maine that are really conservative but where I was it was like Going to church made you the outlier. Like,
4: Interesting. You know,
2: you know, it's like people didn't go to church. It was just like assumed that you didn't really do that. Sure. Or if you did, it was like you went to church, cool, but like we're not talking about it. We're not going to sit around and like discuss the fact that you went to church. Like that's what you want to do. It was just such a different environment. I've never, I had never experienced that before. I mean, I lived in the South my whole life. So that was very different, but I started making other friends, you know, especially meeting like queer people or people who were like very openly atheists. And at that point, I was still somewhat in my phase of like, I'm still a Christian. I was never really like, "This is going to sound crazy, but yeah, you know, I genuinely think that a lot of evangelicals are afraid of gay people. That was never really me, so I like didn't have a problem. Meeting gay people, or it just opened my eyes. I don't know. It just it felt so, like how do you explain that something just feels normal? It was just like
1: oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) Well, I think I think that the way I think like in my experience, like the way in which we were like kind of painted this sort of caricature of this entire series of communities as like this one monolith of wickedness, not people just trying to live their lives. Yeah. So like I think that sort of homophobia manifested itself into like the devil is everywhere. (laughs) Evil is everywhere. Wickedness is everywhere. And then just like one of the little tendrils (laughs) is the gays or whatever. And so like that, so for, I know, I know for a lot of people, like especially in certain communities, like that's that, those feelings of like um, homophobia and like queer phobia is even more like visceral, um, so I, I, I get what you're saying I yeah. to say I get what you're saying.
2: <laughs> but yeah, you just kind of like you're taught so many things about queer people or trans people that they're somehow just so different from you, and then you try to conceptualize like what would it be like to have a friendship with queer people or trans people or whatever, or atheists or whoever it is, and you think that it must be so different to be friends with people in you know, one of these like marginalized groups and then you realize it's not different. It's just,
1: it's like, wait, (laughs) uh, so if if I'm friends with them, I have to just be sitting in a dark room blasting black metal literally and killing a chicken or something. I don't know what I pictured in my mind. Growing up,
2: you go to beer with these friends. You like, Mm -hmm. just, you get dinner, you like go see a movie, you hang out. Like for people who didn't grow up, Christian, it's going to sound so weird that like yeah. you have to just accept the fact that like these are just normal friendships and people that like enrich your life because you're taught that it's like so terrible, like their lifestyle. I'm putting air quotes since this is an <laughs> audio <laughs> format, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, yeah. you know, you're just you really have to like wrap your head around that.
1: Hey, you. Are you struggling with keeping your relationships pure? Are you always worried about keeping yourself holy for your wedding day the way the good Lord intended? Well, now you can. From the makers of the clinging cross and testaments, Date Me Jesus. Date Me Jesus is the life-size, fully posable Christ doll that goes everywhere you do. From the movies to the dinner, to the game night, to the back seat, bring Date Me Jesus everywhere you might be tempted to fornicate. Don't take our word for it. Listen to these satisfied customers. I went on a first date to the movies with Susan from class. And let me just say, I was really worried about keeping my thoughts pure and my hands sin free. Sure am glad I bought three tickets, one for me, one for her, and one for Date Me Jesus, nestled right there between us with the snacks. Are you going to move him? Sorry, Susan, I'm leaving room for God. Is this real? Hey, Jesus, (laughs) pass the popcorn.
5: This isn't what's happening right Bill, Bill. I'm about to go on my third date with Corey and my parents said I could only go out with him again if I brought along my Date Me Jesus right here in the back seat. Here comes Corey now.
1: Uh, hey, Linda, thanks for picking me up. What
5: the? Jesus Christ. <laughs> it sure is. Thanks, Mom and Dad.
1: But wait, there's more. Are you struggling to keep your eyes pure when you're home alone? Just situate Date Me Jesus directly behind your computer screen so you can gaze into the loving blue eyes of your savior. Pornhub, (laughs) more like the veil has been torn hub. Thanks, Date Me Jesus, you stay right there. Not only is Date Me Jesus a fantastic accountability partner, but you can also use his firm, muscular, fully posable arms to wrap you up at night, just like in those worship songs. Did we mention he's fully posable? No unforeseen or
5: sloppy wet kisses here. Just the pure, dry, unchangeable love of my Date Me Jesus. Uh, hey, Becky,
1: (laughs) I've seen you at college group, and I was wondering if maybe you'd like to grab a cup of coffee with me sometime? Thanks, but no
5: thanks, John. (laughs) I'm dating Jesus.
1: And there you have it. (laughs) Date Me Jesus. Order yours today. (laughs) Accessories sold separately. All sales are absolutely final. So when you moved to Maine and you started to kind of like your lived experience started to bump up against kind of the script that you were handed, can you give me kind of like the spark notes of what brought you from that moment to starting a social media account called Talk Purity to Me?
2: I moved to Maine. I wasn't there for a super long time, but then I moved to Greenville and that was around like 2015. And I started talk purity to me in twenty nineteen. So I guess in those few years it was I really built a lot of really cool friendships in Greenville. I was around a lot of really uh religious people or people who I thought were really religious, but I've learned now that me and so many of my friends here were like all deconstructing at the same time and like not saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> many of us were kind of in that same boat. Fast forward to 2019, I just kind of started to name the real issues I was having related to purity culture. And I just thought, I can't be the only one, right? I can't be the only one. You know, I think in American culture and in American Christian culture, talking about sex is a huge taboo. I feel like there's this like false, idea that Christians are more open to talking about sex now, I don't really think that's true, but they try to pretend they are.
1: Yeah, they're trying to be like, no, we're cool with it, man. we be humping.
2: Exactly. They're like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like a whole weird thing. We could go down that rabbit hole. But I put this little thing out on my personal Instagram account, which is, you know, just a private account. And I was, you know, put a little question box in there in my stories. And I just said, how has purity culture affected you in your adult life and the, I mean, I just got dozens of responses and I really just knew based on the way people were just sharing so much with me that I was the first person, for a lot of those people, I was the first person to like open up that conversation about how purity culture and the effects of it has followed people into their adult lives. Post marriage, even post kids, it's obviously a really big topic for a lot of people. There's just so much shame associated with it, and it's really hard to overcome that. And so, you know, my wheels are turning at that point. I've got like dozens and dozens of people in my DMs, like people I really care about. And I'm like, okay, what are we, like, we gotta do something. So, the quickest thing I could think to do was like, Let's just start an Instagram account. And I started the Instagram account. And uh, yeah, it just kind of took off. Obviously, it struck a nerve with a lot of people. So,
1: yeah, it did take off. It was cool. It was cool, like watching it swell and get expand its reach in the way that it did. It was really rad.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Like, I I think I met you because of Talk Purity to me. I had just watched a documentary, like the Joshua Harris. He had made a documentary called. I kiss dating. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> it was like a very long kind of eluded. Did you ever watch it?
2: I didn't. I didn't watch it. I'm glad he's obviously, you know, changed his mind on a lot of things, but I never watched it personally.
1: Yeah, it, it was interesting. It was an interesting watch. And it was just as you said, it was really him kind of like, kind of running it back. And I think at the time, I think he still identified as a Christian, which I believe he no longer does. Mm-hmm. But even when he was identifying as a Christian, He was like really naming all of the harm that his book kind of uh, in a lot of ways started. Um, I think it was one of the first like it was like the purity culture manifesto. Like I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Yeah. Did you ever read that book?
2: I did. I did. And he wrote some other books. I can't remember all the names of them. And then his brothers wrote other books that I read.
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that it was a whole family of Christian authors. Yeah,
2: I, I believe, oh. don't quote me on this, but I think he has brothers who are twins, and they wrote a book, also a Christian book. It wasn't about the same, it was about, it was about more like, I don't know, just like.
1: You heard it here, folks. Blair is a historian <laughs> and an expert on the Harris family, and she is here to set in stone. <laughs>
2: Oh, my so, God.
1: If, if, if she's lying, hold her accountable. Seriously.
2: <laughs> I'm pretty sure the book was called Do Hard Things.
1: Makes perfect sense. And it was, it was, Attracts. yeah.
2: So it was about like, you know, doing things that are difficult for the kingdom of God, like that kind of thing.
0: Mm. Okay. 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 This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks
1: I feel like this um, Blair kind of leads really well. Into the topic, I wanted to have you on and just talk to you about your story, mm-hmm. and then I was like, you can't have Blair from Top Purity to me on without talking about purity. So um, I say we jump right into our topic. What do you say?
2: Let's do it.
1: Tell me, Blair, in your experience, like you talked about, right, going to the small church, going to the house church, going to a, a couple different house churches, right, mm-hmm. uh, across what sounds like a range of denominations. When did I guess the conversation of purity? And, like, when did that get introduced into the crockpot for you?
2: That was in that first house church. Um,
1: Oh, really? Okay, Mm -hmm. so that early?
2: Yeah, it was, like, around age 13. How did that look? So this house church, like I said, it was, like, a lot of families. And a lot of those families all had kids in, like, my age range. And so sex and dating and things like that was now like a growing concern for a lot of the parents of these kids in the house church and so i know my friend whose family you know had this house church in their home they did this program called passport to purity they did it with their own kids it wasn't something that they like you know did with everyone's kids or anything like that but it was very much I know everyone has like a whole ex- range of experiences with purity culture but this particular group was like kind of into the idea of not even kissing before you're married like literally you're kissing for the first time on your wedding day oh yeah even avoiding as much physical touch as possible cuz physical touch of course leads to hardcore makeout which leads to sex 100% of every time. Yeah. Holding hands to consummation is like the only, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, A to B, a two step process.
2: But really, like, they made you, they made you, they made us feel like that was inevitable. Like, it really, that's how it was presented. And so then you, like, do silly things. Like, the first time you hold hands with a guy when you're 18 in college, you have a panic attack because you think you just cheated on your future husband. And for everyone, you know, listening at home, that's my story. That happened to me.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I read the, I kissed dating goodbye. And like, it was like, you know, just save yourself for marriage. Don't have sex until marriage. But Then there was like this like extra gold star. If you're like, and and if you really want to do it right, don't even smooch yes. until marriage. Don't even Father holding hands, definitely don't pray together. That was interesting. Yeah. Right? Can't pray together. Because if you be praying, then you'd be fucking mm-hmm. that's the it is a one for one. And I remember like I was really set on not kissing anyone until my wedding day. And in high school, junior high, I got cast as Romeo in our production of Romeo and Juliet. Wow. Obviously. I mean, you look at me. Thank you. I know I'm I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> As I'm sure you can tell, uh, pretty amazing. And the, I mean, we were kids. The girl who was cast as Juliet was my best friend of five years and my neighbor.
2: Oh my god!
1: So I had never kissed a girl, and I was 17, 16 or 17, and we literally kissed for the first time at a rehearsal, and it was such a weird. I was like giddy but guilty, Aww. ecstatic and. <laughs> I thought I was in love, like, and we ended up dating for a while and it ended terribly because I, I had misplaced, like, this kind of behavior with what has to ultimately end up in marriage or something. I'm 16. What the fuck do I know?
2: Obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: you saying that is, like, really, it's, it's bringing back a lot.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, it was, like, the anxiety of, like, you don't even want to, like, around a guy alone or like linger around a guy too long that could like send the wrong message people could think things about you it heightens so many situations that absolutely don't need to be brought to that level yeah and like you wonder why we all have anxiety about like <laughs> things yeah. like that. why
1: am i why, I, why i'm a hyper vigilant adult right seriously
2: <laughs> like we are made to worry about so many things constantly be on edge. Like I really think I was on edge. Like, I mean, for years, mm. genuinely for years. And it's not all purity culture. It's kind of like all of evangelical theology as a whole, but yeah,
1: I feel like there's people who I've talked to. First of all, like, I don't know about you, Blair, but I didn't even know purity culture was like the name of the thing for the longest time. I, like I learned about it in like twenty nineteen when I reached out to you for help on the episode. And from in my mind, I was like, this is just the nineties, baby. Like that's just how <laughs> that's just how we do things, you know? Right. It just be like that. But I feel like people who I talk to, they're like, Oh, so it's just like you just don't have sex till marriage. And it's like, Well, that was like the explicit rule. Right. But there was a lot of like implicit rules that were kind of stacked and in the fringes that like we don't say it, but like I shouldn't have to say it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What were like some of the the extra rules or the extra expectations placed on you and so many of us in the attempt to have your true love wait?
2: <laughs> um, I just remember like I would, you know, have genuine friendships or genuine connections form with like guys in college who usually they were all people from these church um. Either like house church or whatever, like on campus ministries that I was loosely, you know, attending or whatever, and you would like have these relationships, you know, literally just friendships. Now I know that's that's just what that was. That was a friendship, but in your mind, you're like, I don't think this is like my future husband. So it's like really <laughs> wrong of me to like to talk to them. let this yeah. let this relationship like go forward. Like I just need to be wow. like waiting for my future husband and I don't think this person is it so I need to like be very clear and pretty much like cut off the relationship and I I know that sounds again like if you don't grow up in it it sounds crazy like you sound just unhinged and I was Uh (laughs) (laughs) but there's just like things like that that I look back on now and think like this was a result of me being taught these like very specific things about how I needed to approach relationships in general. And mm. I feel really sad that I torpedoed like so many ro- friendships that I think could still be genuine friendships because of my own feelings about it.
1: <sighs> yeah, that's so true. I, I feel like if you asked if a person like if you asked a person who never went to church doesn't grow up in church doesn't go to church and you go yeah like i didn't really see the relationship go anywhere so i like had to stop it they go oh were you guys like hooking up or like going on dates and stuff i'd be like oh no not at all (laughs) the bar for what i what we would constitute as a potential relationship in the making was like we were on the same team at game night or something (laughs)
2: yes oh my gosh yes or like This so-and-so sat next to you during the prayer time or they were standing next to you during worship
1: you like held eye contact yeah 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 a sustained conversation uh without like a group like a a committee it was just the two of you that's like
2: risky and for you know women or people who are socialized as women um there's a lot of things about, like, how you can dress and act, especially around men. But I remember, like, I was at my friend's, like, pool party for her birthday, and it was all just us girls, you know, like, 14-year-old girls all sitting around. I had my one-piece swimsuit on, okay? nothing, nothing, Nothing scandalous going on over here. But I remember her mom, like, my friend's mom coming outside to tell me that... I should put a towel on like I should grab my towel like we're literally all just sitting around right in bathing suits but like I didn't have a towel around me so like I should grab that because it might be like you know like her brother and every her dad were around and like it could be inappropriate it was but things like that I just and I remember feeling so ashamed I was like oh my god I should have I should have thought I should have thought right. to grab my towel and why didn't I? Right. Now I realize that that was also really inappropriate for her to tell me to do that. But anyway.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. The modesty conversation, you mentioning that, I asked the Bad Apples to send in like kind of some of their stories and some of their experience with what purity looked like. And overwhelmingly, the feedback in the conversation was about the appearance of modesty. Um what i I do want to say this, and I'm kind of famous for hanging a lampshade on this stuff, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer, like if you're listening, this is me and Blair talking about our experiences, but obviously, there's so many other folks who have way more painful experiences. I picked some stories from the Bad apples to share. some of them might be a little difficult just because they touch on that stuff, those feelings of shame surrounding your body, those feelings of embarrassment and humiliation and and so many things that we've been kind of condition. And honestly, I didn't have it that bad because I was a boy and it was really the girls problem in youth group. Right. And also I have, I found a couple of clips that I want to share and I'm going to hang a, a little bit of a trigger warning on this too, because it just could feel a little bit too close to home with some of the messaging you were listening to. So I'm going to put some timestamps here for the video clips as well as the bad apple segments. And if you feel like, you know, maybe this isn't really my jam, you can skip it. Or if you Feel like this episode is a little too close to home. You can skip it, too. You're not going to hurt our feelings. Um, th- this is a video. I kind of say this, Blair. I, uh, I don't know why I do this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> why I like scrub through content. I have to change my YouTube handle. Otherwise, the algorithm thinks that I'm obsessed with evangelicals. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just to find this shit.
2: The things that we watch for y'all. Just <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we do this so you don't have
2: to. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> this is one of the videos that came up talking about modesty.
3: Okay.
1: About like a, a minute. All right. So
6: check this out. In describing the mode of dress appropriate for women in church, the Apostle Paul exhorts them to dress modestly with decency and propriety, then goes on to contrast in modest dress with the good deeds which are appropriate for those who profess to be true worshipers of God. While the Bible only specifically addresses the need for women to dress modestly, the same teaching would apply to men in principle. Both men and women should bring glory to God in their manner of dress. Modesty in the way we dress is not just for church. It is to be the standard for all Christians at all times. The key to understanding what constitutes modesty in dress is to examine the attitudes and intents of the heart. Those whose hearts are inclined toward God will make every effort to dress modestly, decently, and appropriately. Those whose hearts are inclined towards self will dress in a manner designed to draw attention to themselves with little or no regard for the consequences to themselves or others. A godly woman endeavors to do everything with a God-word perspective. She knows that God wants His people to be concerned for His glory and the spiritual state of their brothers and sisters in Christ. If a woman professes to be a Christian, yet she dresses in a way that will unduly draw attention to her body. She is a poor witness of the one who bought her soul by dying for her on the cross. So there you go. You hear that, Blair? Now I
2: know. <laughs> poor
6: poor, poor,
1: wit- poor witness. So so this was very much like the kind of in layman's terms, like if you weeded through all the sermon illustrations and Sunday school and all this stuff, this is kind of what they were touching on. Oh, yeah. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, I mean, it was very much like if you dress in a certain way you definitely didn't love god and i mean literally you put a tank you put a t-shirt under that tank top and all of a sudden you're like god's favorite like yeah it it seems so ridiculous now because it is obviously like it's these standards i mean if we are you know just the hypothetical like if we all claim to be serving an infinite god who's like beyond time and space like i don't think he cares if your skirt comes three inches above your knee like how how small i that's what i think about now it's like Mm. i don't believe in god it's not it's not for me but how small did we all make god that like there was all these rules and hoops to jump through like it just
1: And again, like it took hearing so many stories, and I don't think I ever noticed it. Looking back, the whole responsibility to keep your a a man or you know a guy, you know, right? We're all high school kids to keep a guy pure. Like the responsibility fell entirely on on the girls, you know, and like the women to do that. And it's so odd because, like, didn't the Bible say like if your right hand causes you to sin, like just cut it off? It would be like if your right hand causes you to sin, then the store that you tried to steal from <laughs> needs to burn itself down because, you know, right. like that doesn't make sense. Yeah.
2: And like the idea that I, as a 13 year old girl, was made to feel that if I was like kneeling on the ground praying and like my T-shirt came up a little too high at my back, that like the 40 year old men in the room could think impure things about me and that like that was my problem. Right. That was like on me. <laughs> to fix that.
1: That was your responsibility.
2: It's wild. I mean, I was actually just thinking about that the other day like how much time of my life I spent pulling clothing down because I was so afraid of like showing skin, you know, and just like adjusting. Oh, I just God. like I don't do that anymore. Like I don't really do that much anymore at all, you know, maybe occasionally, so much of my teen years was just spent adjusting clothing. I I know that's a random thought, but
1: (laughs) No, that I bet you, if you could like, if if there was a way to go back and get some analytics on the lifespan of behaviors, (laughs) the amount of time that like Christian evangelical girls had to be adjusting clothing for the sake of perceive propriety, it probably would be nuts. So much time. But like guys could like go to like church camp and like not wear shirts and like wearing like like, suit, yeah. you know, like whatever they want. It's 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 nuts. And
2: I remember one time my friend's brother, he had, you know, been taking a shower. He came out, he had on like shorts, he didn't have on a shirt, and I reacted to that by like like turning a turning away really quickly. Like And then everyone laughed at me like I was the one who was being like weird about it. I'm Um, like, okay, he just came out in front of everyone without a shirt on. Like, why am I the weird one? Like, are we trying to be modest here? You know, but anyway, that was just like my, obviously now, like, do I think it's a big deal? No, no. But back then, like, we were all taught that it was a huge deal, but I was the one apparently who was like, making a huge deal out of nothing.
1: Were there any um, particularly noteworthy sermon illustrations that you were taught or experienced or heard of that a pastor would use to kind of convey the idea of purity that stand out to you?
2: I think one of the worst ones for me, I know a lot of people have their own one that they love to hate, but the one of like the poop in a brownie,
1: Oh, the poop brownie
2: yeah it's like you make a batch of brownies but you put just a little bit of poop in there but like would you still want the brownie like if you knew that there was poop in it like everyone's supposed to be like "Ew, no!" like and obviously yeah but like why are we comparing people to poop brownies like
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah the one i was gonna say was someone's like i if you're really really thirsty I have like this, like this really like this jug of water. Um, but I also, I like peed a little bit in it. <laughs> and I'm like, who's the pee? Yes. Like if we're going to roll this back, are the girls the pee? Am I the pee? Is the sex the pee? Like what's, what's the pee? Okay. Yeah. There, people talk about stories of like, um, like a rose that gets like passed around oh. and like everyone's like touching the petals and they get all gross or like gum on it. Like chewed gum. That chewed was one gum. that I've heard. Yeah
2: it'll lose its Two stickiness construction after
1: paper? yeah the construction paper one yes Yeah, the construction paper if they stick together you can't peel it out because one does ten.
2: yeah or the running shoes like the sneakers you know
1: what what was the sneaker one
2: the girl's a sneaker obviously and then the guy like if a bunch of people like if she has sex then it's like the sneakers get like really dirty and like who would want those sneakers like they get really worn oh. out you know
1: Gosh. Okay. Ooh, wow, really, bad. <laughs> really, really good way to reduce women's bodies to things like food, shoes, gum. I, I was thinking about this, like even in that video, it talked a little bit. And there's another clip that I want to show from my favorite person in the world, um, J pipes. And, <laughs> and there is this weird thing where it's like, you can't have sex before marriage, obviously, because that's not pure but you also can't even look at a woman or another person lustfully because that's not pure. and then you can't put yourself in a situation where you could potentially look at someone lustfully because that's not pure. And then you can't get dressed up in a way that could potentially make a person want to hang out with you in a way to make them think it's like this weird Russian nesting doll situation. How far (laughs) back do I have to go? Like by this, by this theory you should be preaching people to stay in bed all day yeah. to never leave their homes or whatever. Like, cause if you're really, if you really care that much about nipping it in the bud, right? Like that's mm. what you should tell people to do.
2: And I think that's where the whole stay at home daughter movement comes from. Do you know about this?
1: No, please tell me.
2: Okay. It's like this whole idea that girls, they don't even need to go to college after high school. Like maybe they finish high school, but After that, they need to be at home serving their family and waiting on their husband. They don't need to be out in the workplace. They don't need to be out getting an education. Maybe if it has to do, like, maybe if they work in the church nursery, that could be okay. Oh, of course. All about just, like, girls need to stay home until they have a husband, and then they can stay home at their home.
1: What's wild, that is freaking wild to me, but this was in the Bible in maybe not explicitly like like fathers keep keep your daughters at home locked up in the kitchen but like if you read the text literally it looks at women as like second tier to men and how their bodies need to you know need to be entirely submitted to their husbands and and then even down to the idea of like you are not your own like you are bought with the price, like your body is intrinsically this kind of wicked vessel. It's this, it's a getaway car, right? Like it's just, it was supposed to just tie you over to get to heaven. Then you light it on fire and it's no good. To, it's no good for you, you know? Uh-huh. And I think the way so much of us, so many of us were taught to hate the flesh and like hate our body. It was, a, it, it wasn't that much of a jump to now. I need to completely control every aspect of my behavior to make it as quote pure as possible.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why so many people who grew up in this kind of ideology like so many of us have anxiety, so many of us have OCD or just, you know, some obsessive tendencies. I mean, almost every person I know who grew up in evangelical Christianity has some sort of anxiety problem and usually obsessive tendencies as well i think it just i mean obviously like i have hope that all of us are living a better life than we were and i think that's true and i think it's very possible you know if you don't feel like that now that that is possible for you but also our brains were shaped by all of this and there's Mm -hmm. like this is it's like i don't say this to be like a debbie downer but this is reality like my brain was shaped by these things that i grew up around and that is the reality of the situation and Mm. the anxiety i experienced and all of that i mean it's a direct correlation to like what i went through so yeah yeah
1: i was thinking about this my wife Alyssa and i were married for a couple years at the time and we went to a Halloween party. And I had always wanted to do like matching couples costumes. And we had always just been like matching costume people. And I was looking at fo well, every Halloween, we always look at all of our previous Halloween costumes to go, oh yeah, look at that one. That was a good one. That was a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, one year Alyssa and I were Ash and Misty from Pokemon. Okay. Right? And Alyssa never watched Pokemon. And so I just gave her I just showed her, but I was like, this could be cool. And then we turned our dog into like a little Pikachu. And it was really Aww. cute. Uh, it was quite cute.
2: So and cute. so but she's
1: like, I don't know what to wear. And I said, oh, well, this is the the outfit. And she's like, I can't wear that. I'm like, well, why? And she's like, the, the shorts are too short. Brandon, we we are in our early 20s married, like going to a party with other early 20s married people, right? And even like for her, even just like the act of like showing too much of her own leg, like made her feel so uncomfortable. I was like, we, you don't have to do this. And she ended up like tying a shirt around her waist and then she felt comfortable enough to do it. And looking back, we like talked about it and I was like, that was really, that was a, a mind fuck. Like, you know, and, and so we, it was a interesting thing to look at just as you said. I mean, the roots are deep and I, I'm sure that if I was really thoughtful, I could probably even now this far removed from my own evangelicalism, I could probably still find things that make me uncomfortable that have their roots in purity culture. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's like we're like watching a movie and like a sex scene comes up. I'm like, Oh God, I shouldn't be looking at this. This is, I'm not, I promise babe. I'm not, I'm not lusting in my heart.
2: (laughs) You know, isn't that
1: like, what like, what what the fuck?
2: I would still say that I dress fairly modest because I mean, I definitely probably not by Christian standards, but by just like the world in general around me, it's just something that I still like, I can't personally, I just, can't bring myself to wear anything that i feel is like too low cut or like too short Mm. short dresses are absolutely out of the question for me it's just like i can't feel comfortable and like maybe one day you know but it's like yeah i mean i don't think i wore a two-piece swimsuit until five, six years after i really was like i'm not a christian anymore i just like i couldn't do it i just like and again it's like yeah it's just like the process and you you can work towards what you feel is like what you want to do. You know, there's no pressure either way. But yeah, I mean, it, it sticks sure. with you. Stays locked in there up in our psyche.
1: Yeah. And just as you said, uh, y'all, we're not advocating for you to uh, turn your one pieces into two pieces and to cut your shorts and your skirts and your shirts. You know, move at your own pace. Do what mm-hmm. you want or or don't ever. Yeah. Obviously. Stay don't ever be comfortable.
2: comfortable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Be comfortable and be you. Um, but it is, it is nuts. Mm-hmm. Speaking of something that is nuts, Don Piper. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play a clip. This was, I feel like it's a little different um, okay. because if you moved from kind of the mega church evangelical machine, as I did, into the more cognitive, academic, you know, the Driscoll's and the Pipers and the Chandler's and the, and the David Platt's, like, as a Theo bro. We would scoff at behavior modification preachers. We would be like, come on, man. You can't just because we were the cool guys, right? We were the ones who were like, Of course I have tattoos, bruh. You know, like right. and so this is a video that I found because I I can already imagine that like a Calvinist listening to this episode is going, well, obviously you didn't understand the gospel. You know, the gospel never said you have to wear one piece, you know, so. Just to kind of sprinkle a little bit of uh, counterweight to people who maybe were like, well, that was just the pop Christianity. It wasn't gospel-centered Christianity. This is a a clip from John Piper, and I think he kind of speaks to what a lot of people in this sort of new neo-Calvinist kind of hyper-reformed theological school would consider uh, accurate. Check this out.
3: Uh, Until God has become your treasure. So I'll just say this to any woman, any man who, who, who dresses inappropriately. Until God has become your treasure. Until your own sin has become the thing you hate most. Until the word of God is your supreme authority. That you feel to be more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Until the gospel of Christ's death in your place is the most precious news in the world to you. Until you have learned to deny yourself short-term pleasures for the sake of long-term joy and holiness, until you have grown to love the Holy Spirit and long for his fruit more than man's praise, until you count everything as loss compared to the supreme value of knowing Christ, your attitude towards your clothing, And your appearance will be controlled by forces that don't honor Christ. So every pastor can see we got work to do. I mean, deep soul work to do, which means for a pastor that 99% of his effort will be the establishment in the heart of these glorious supernatural works of God.
1: For folks who are hearing this, sitting in that school of thought, they would argue that, well, obviously, it's not cool to just tell women to wear longer skirts. Obviously, it's not cool to tell men to just not look at porn. What it really means is, how much do you love God? Mm -hmm. And I think they're in this shift to reframe a narrative the kind of the calvinist solution or the reformed solution is like well if you really love god and really love the gospel enough then everything else will just kind of fall into place did you ever like interact with any of that sort of theology or any of that language
2: totally yeah i and i think for me that was a huge motivation and really like a lot of the purity culture stuff because it was really, you know, the message I was getting was, how far will you go? How much will you change your lifestyle? How willing are you to look, you know, ridiculous to the world in order to love God and do his will and, you know, be in his favor, literally um, to have God's favor. And yeah, I mean, I think that is, that was my motivation for so much because yeah of course i love god and oh you an adult who i trust is telling me that if i don't kiss someone till i get married that is like god's ultimate best plan for me like okay sure yeah bet like i will i will do that Mm -hmm. i i completely relate to like this fear that like John Piper is trying to elicit from people. Cause that's really what it is. It's like, if you uh, if you see a mini skirt and you think it's cute, you obviously don't love God enough. So get your shit together. Obviously John, yeah. John Piper wouldn't say that, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's like the stakes become so much higher because it's like, now it becomes this junk drawer of how much do you adore God? Because it's this, it's a yes or it's an in or an out thing. You adore God or you don't, you love God or you don't. God is the the supreme being an entity in your entire existence, or he is not. And if you just get in at that level, then you're almost like trapped then. Mm-hmm. Because like, so, so we agree. It's like, it's like, you're you're arguing with like a, an apologist, which was a lot of them were apologists, where it's like, so we agree that we believe God is all supreme in your life. Okay, great. So now every single thing in your life has to fall under that, quote unquote, headship, that lordship of God. And it just so happens that the movies you watch and the way you interact with uh, other people, you know, women or men, the way that you dress, the way that you behave or think all of that now has to fall in line because you set the precedent that God is the most important thing.
2: And it was also, okay, so yes, God is the most important thing. You want to do his will, but it was never, at least to me, it was like never really a hundred percent clear. Like the way that I was taught was like, you could be outside of God's will and not even know it. Like you could have thought something and you forgot to repent for it. And now, Not only did you do this sinful thing, you didn't repent for it. So you have opened yourself up literally to demonic forces and like you have to repent for that thing and then you have to cast those demons out of you because like you thought this like negative thing about like your friend and you didn't you know what I'm saying? It's like the constant cycle of like you're never good. Like you and God are never like Oh, good. There's always something. There's always a barrier.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, if this was a relationship with a partner, and the partner's like, hey, uh, why are you wearing that? I don't know. I just thought it was like, do you not even love me? (laughs) What what does that have to do with anything? Well, obviously, if you loved me, you would know that this doesn't make me feel good because I'm like, oh, okay. Like, in any other context, this sort of weird, like, (laughs) 12 degrees of Kevin Bacon, like, if you love God, then obviously, like all of this stuff has mm-hmm. to, you know, like yeah. be assumed. It's wild.
2: Or like, you know, you're in a relationship with your partner, and you did something that offended them and like hurt them deeply, but they won't tell you what it is. You have to figure it out.:
1: <laughs> Yeah, right. right. And your relationship and the quality of your relationship hangs in the balance.
2: And they're not going to be able to like be in conversation with you or be around you until you figure it out. And if anyone else wasn't like, if, if, you know, two people that I knew were in a relationship like this, I would call it abusive, right? Like that's, a, that's abusive. Sure. But since it's God, it's you know, love.
7: Hi, my name is Karis and I currently live in St. Louis, Missouri. The best way that I could define purity is by describing impurity. Impurity looks like any sort of action or language or even thought that fell outside of God's best for my life. Purity had this abstractness to it that left lots up to the individual interpretations of my youth pastors, my parents, my Christian school, uh, my own study. And honestly, because I could never fully define it, I could never really fully attain it. I was so seriously committed to this mission of purity. A verse that I gave myself in my teen years was James four, seven through eight. Paraphrasing it, it says, Submit yourself to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. One way that I avoided feelings of, like, intense shame and guilt over my developing sexual identity, my adolescent development, was by intense guarding and self-policing of my thoughts. I would recite this verse over and over throughout the day, and I look back through my school notes, like biology notes, math notes, and I find little prayers that I journaled off to the side, just asking for God's forgiveness. And I see now how I was just so consumed with hypervigilance, and in some ways, this really caused me to dissociate my mind from my body. It also caused me to isolate myself from my peers. In eighth grade, I started a prayer group at my Christian high school for my classmates to actually become on-fire Christians. I wanted to ignite the Holy Spirit in them. I really felt like my version of Christianity was the truest version and that my Baptist and Methodist friends weren't Christian enough. And because I had been trained to really harshly judge myself, I was constantly judging the people around me. And I was told that I was set apart, so therefore I started setting myself apart from what could have been really meaningful and developmentally appropriate friendships with my friends. And that just makes me overwhelmingly sad for myself, my younger self. and. I know that I really missed out on some really wholesome moments because of my intense pursuit of this abstract concept. Hi,
8: my name is Jenna and I'm in Colorado. I grew up in the evangelical church and purity was a huge part of my education in youth group. We would get separated by gender pretty often. Boys would get to do fun things like play video games or sports and girls would get kind of shoved into this secluded room so we could talk about purity and being pure and staying pure. My main takeaway was that I was responsible and solely responsible for how my body was perceived and reacted to by men. And I had to protect my body at all costs, which honestly felt impossible at the time and still seems very hard to do now. We did a book study called Every Young Woman's Battle. I'm sure that'll be familiar to some. And my youth pastor at the time was pregnant. And I have this very clear memory of her saying she was terrified to be pregnant because everyone at church would know that she and her husband were having sex. And I was shocked at the time because A, that had not occurred to me and B, I just felt this was impossible. Like I'm supposed to stay pure as a teenager and then I'm supposed to remain pure even when I'm a married woman. It felt like an impossible goal and I was really overwhelmed. And to be honest, purity, controlling my body, protecting my body, caring about how it's perceived by everyone around me, that is stuff I'm still working on and on learning today, even though I have long since left the church.
9: Hey Adrian, my name is Janelle and I live in BC, Canada. Purity was the central theme of what it meant to be a Christian growing up. Thanks to our pal Joshua Harris, it wasn't just about abstaining from sex, but this idea that anything you did with a member of the opposite sex, everything from kissing to intimate conversations, was somehow taking away from this finite amount of intimacy that you had to give your spouse one day. Looking back I realize it had all sorts of terrible consequences for me that I've had to work through in therapy for years, things like needing to learn how to trust my body and set boundaries for myself and what consent means rather than just following rules given to me has been really hard. I still have a trauma response watching TV shows with my husband when nudity appears, feeling like he has no choice but to cheat on me in his mind with that person. My whole body shuts down, it's a whole thing. Um, Thankfully I have access to an amazing embodiment coach, shout out to Tara Tang, Uh, but it's taken years to break through some of this stuff and I will definitely be raising my kids very differently.
4: Hi, my name is Laura, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. My parents gave me a silver purity ring in middle school that I wore every day. It read, true love waits. I was enveloped in purity culture and 100% was going to save myself for marriage. I was raped in ninth grade, and that was my introduction to sex. I remember my ninth grade English teacher made some comment about once you've had sex, you're married in God's eyes. I felt the disgust, shame, and self-hatred. I was impure. I had been taught that you should pray for your future husband and not tempt the boys around you because they're somebody's future husband. You should save yourself for that man and nobody would want a tainted lady. I wasn't a virgin and at that point I realized I had nothing to protect. I started to date the guy who raped me because I thought I was only allowed to be with one guy my whole life and couldn't be with anyone else. I was undesirable. After all. We were married. I didn't know how to stop wearing the purity ring because my parents would then know. My mom continued to sign me up for purity events at churches. I remember once I went to a purity tea party for women only. Men have one-track minds, and we need to learn how to dress. They taught us moves to do before leaving the house to make sure your outfit wasn't causing any temptation to the men. Shoulders must be covered. If you raised your arms and your stomach showed any skin, your shirt was too short. Or the Palm Pilot rule, where you just placed your palm on your chest and your thumb just above your collarbone. If you had any skin showing below your hand, you're basically a slut. It taught me to hate my body. And how do I feel looking back? Angry. I stayed in an abusive relationship I never wanted to begin with for four years because of purity culture.
5: Hi, my name is Morgan and I am currently living in Iowa City, Iowa. I grew up in a Catholic household, um, although we switched to the ELCA church when I was in middle school. But although we had switched to the ELCA church, a lot of the framework that I was given was still very rooted in a Catholic mindset. Um, And that was very much true when it came to purity culture and the messages I received or didn't receive when it came to my own body and my own sexuality. Uh, And I think how that manifested itself really was I came to believe that my body was a weapon, right? We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about... Um, pleasure or consent or safe sex, what we talked about was the fact that you can't trust your body and your body is a tool, right? A tool that the devil's going to use. And so I learned that my body was a weapon. I needed to control it. I needed to control myself. And if I could do that well enough, then great. Like, I was one of the good ones, right? If I could cover up enough, if I could make sure that none of my body language was sending messages that were tempting, then I was doing it right right? But when I came to sexual maturity and I started engaging in sexual relationships, I quickly found I had no language to advocate for myself. I had no idea what my boundaries were or how to enforce them. I didn't trust my body if my body told me I was feeling uncomfortable. And I also didn't know how to advocate for my own autonomy. I didn't know autonomy was something I actually had. And I think it really did me a disservice. And I still sometimes struggle with feeling like my body is something that is out here to harm me and that it's something I have to work against. Even though I have deconstructed that idea and I feel much better about my relationship with my body, it still lingers and I still sometimes find myself feeling as though my body is a saboteur out to get me.
1: Blair, for you, when you look back, obviously you talked about all the different ways that it has kind of impacted you and has impacted so many of us. I guess in summation, like when you look back at your experience within the purity culture movement, how do you feel about it? What are your thoughts on on it as a whole looking back?
2: I feel really sad for all the years that I spent denying something, a part of myself that is so... Fundamental to the human experience, you know most people at some point in their lives will have sex, not everyone but most people will um just statistically, uh, we know that, but I spent so many years thinking that even the thought of that was a bad thing, it was a sin, and I needed to do everything to deny it, made myself really wound up about anything related to romance, sex, relationships, to where it took me a while to figure out how to like feel emotions around sex or like feel anything about it because I spent so many years just like blocking all of that out. It's like I can't even think about it, feel anything about it. Yeah. So since I spent all those years, you know, doing that, if y'all don't know who Erica Smith is, she's really amazing sex educator. She works with a lot of people, you know, who come on, out on the other side of purity culture or are wanting to do that and figure that out. But the first, I think I cried the first three times I met with her because I had never been able to talk about anything related to this. So I feel sad for my younger self who didn't get to experience a normal like development, a normal brain development. And the way that I was able to process and think about human sexuality, which I think is a human right. You know, I think we all have, we all deserve to be able to like have access to information about sex um, and feel empowered. And I feel sad that that didn't happen for me and for so many other people. Yeah.
1: Alyssa and I were talking about this and we met when we were like, she was 18 and I was 19 turning 20, or I had just turned 20. And we met at like a, in a varsity Christian fellowship, which is a college church club. And I was a worship leader. Amazing. And then we got married four years later. And we talked to each other sometimes. And she lived at home, went to a close by college, and then moved out of her childhood home and moved in with me. Like, together, we got our own place. I lived with roommates up until the moment that we moved in together. Like, wow. it was such a textbook, like, it, by any evangelical standard we were like we did it
2: you did did it right right. you
1: know we did it right we won right but what we often talk about is like we missed an entire dimension of being young Mm -hmm. like Alyssa's like she's just now so many years later like prioritizing like going out drinking and dancing with her friends because it just was something that she just never thought she had license to do because, as we talked about, it's the appearance and the lust aspect and the attention aspect and all these little inst- like things, these little seeds that are planted in people's minds to feel like you can't do that. And even for me, like I never, like I, I did, it, I did more partying than she did, but like it was never, like, nuts. And we're we're still now going back and being like, huh, what would life have been like? Like, how different would I have been as a person if I had allowed myself to experience this whole other kind of spectrum of of color that I just never, I closed myself off to my whole life, you know?
2: I think so many of us, and I don't think I am the first person to make this observation, but I think so many people in like our situation growing up in this really restrictive environment coming out of that, you know, in our 20s, 30s, Like we kind of go through like a second adolescence or like an adolescence for the first time if you really want to like, you know, get down to it. But yeah, I feel the same way. Like I there are so many things that I should have been able to like explore and, you know, figure out in like my teens. And I never got to do any of that or like, you know, even feeling like like you said, the the freedom to just like go out with friends because it's fun. and like. Not feel
1: guilty about that, uh, Blair. That's a whole other conversation. I feel like we're gonna have to have a second episode just for that. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I gotta ask you this then. On this side of it, I know that for many of us, and it sounds like for you, your faith was really important to you, and it fulfilled. It's it scratched some sort of itch at the time. What have you found now on this side of everything? Whether something you do. Uh, consume or enjoy like in general like what have you found that maybe scratches the itch that your faith might have done once upon a time
2: how do you put into words like just being able to be yourself you know it's like i don't really feel like i was myself for a really long time i was i really think i had a different personality when i was a christian because i was like molding it to what i thought i was supposed to be Um, So, Mm. I mean, I think I've, you know, just having really good friendships and like strong relationships with family now that like I feel like they really know me, you know, like because the other person that I used to be, that's not me at all. Mm. But now I feel like they can really know me, who who I actually am. Um, But, you know, in terms of like day to day things, like I... You know really just enjoy like spending time with yeah spending time with family and friends i have gotten really into like tv shows that i never felt like i could watch growing up tons of like hbo you know hbo shows all the cursing and bucking and all that stuff that i never (laughs) felt like i could watch growing up and really like i don't know exploring interests really into coffee i worked in coffee for a while
1: yeah, we've nerded out over coffee. Yeah, We're a, yeah. A, good, a good a good minute, a good minute. You'll send me I, no, something,
2: I'm, I'll send you something. <laughs>
1: yes, totally. Is is there anything you wanted to to tack on to this topic? Anything else that maybe you wanted to talk about?
2: Um, I think that we covered a lot. I think I feel good about.
1: I think we covered a lot. <laughs> we'll, we'll listen back and realize there's a whole bunch of stuff we missed, and we'll just bring you back on. We'll that do it. We'll do it. <laughs> So, Blair, I think, now that we talked about it, I think it's time for the last segment of the night. What do you, th- what do you say? Let's do it. This is Sip, Smoke, Read. Sip, smoke,
2: sip, smoke, read. Hey. So you know we read that shit. That shit. Only sip the
1: finest party lit. On my I feel. So you're thinking listen to these idiots. But here you keep on listening. Uh, All right. So, Blair, as you know, Sip, Smoke, Read is a segment where we talk about what are you sipping? What are you reading? What are you watching, listening to, enjoying, partaking in? What are you doing to get yourself through these trying times?
2: (laughs) Well, um, in terms of what am I sipping? Actually, throughout the pod, um, I had a little it's basically just bullet bitters you know basically an old-fashioned except i forgot to get orange at the store so there's no orange in there mm.
1: <laughs> bullet bourbon is that is that your uh is that your jam
2: yeah i really like it i'm not like i like bourbon but if anybody tries to have a big conversation with me about it i don't know that i would have a ton to contribute i like it i drink <laughs> i drink this one and i like this one
1: <laughs> perfect
2: not really big on smoking your asthma kind of takes the wind out of my sails on that one but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh i do enjoy what i can get legally in south carolina like delta 8 gummies are great
1: love me at delta 8 delta 8 is great
2: it's good right like yeah i really enjoy it
1: is there any like brand that you want to give a shout out to
2: I don't even know the name of it, to be
1: honest. Okay, okay, okay.
2: great. <laughs> well,
1: if you're not going to do it, um, I have an affiliate link for bottom oh. Farms, and they're outstanding. I'll drop a link in the show notes, everyone. Support the channel.
2: You sent me that, too, because I <laughs> I, <will.
1: laughs> I am not
2: brand loyal to anyone. so <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. Right, you're not in anyone's pocket yet. No, all right, not at all. Sorry, continue. I interrupted you.
2: Book-wise, right now, I'm reading Salem's Lot, which is a Stephen King book. I really like stephen king um i am really into i mean i love horror horror scary movies like really into that genre and he obviously has written a lot of books that have become classic horror movies yeah i'm enjoying that one and then as soon as we finish here i will be walking right out into my living room and watching white lotus episode just dropped It's every Sunday night. So, yeah, really, uh, White Lotus Season 2 just started a few weeks ago. I don't know if you've watched any of it.
1: I was going to mention it on my, but we just started it. Okay. We're, like, four episodes in, and it's... Season
2: 1? You just started Season 1?
1: Yeah. Okay. Am I in for it?
2: Oh, yeah. Like, at the end of Season 1, I was so excited for Season 2. I was literally, like, checking every once in a while, like, when is Season 2 coming?
1: Nice. Okay, cool.
2: And in Season 2, like, you know, if you hurry get to season two season two has Aubrey Plaza which is
1: uh, she's amazing
2: she's amazing so amazing. <laughs> okay so your turn oh my god so good like I didn't it's a train wreck I didn't think I would ever love a show that's about like really rich people and like just that <laughs> yeah. being really rich like that's it's the whole show
1: money yeah but yeah, yeah.
2: it's so good <laughs>
1: It's so good. What I love about succession is every character is problematic and every character, like there isn't, there isn't a, like a white knight, like there isn't a, a hero, like they're all just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's why it's compelling. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. So, so good. caught up to that and then started watching white Lotus simply because I had nothing left to watch and everyone was talking about it. And I was like, okay, let's give it a spin. And Alyssa and I watched the first episode, and we're like, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to – I don't know. And I said, let's do another episode. Yeah. And now we're four episodes in, and, and we're all about it.
2: It is so good.
1: Okay, cool. That's good to know. Should we be pleased to know that that it continues to, to deliver?
2: And when you finish that, if you've never watched The Sopranos, you should watch The oh, Sopranos.
1: Oh, I have never watched The Sopranos. You should. It still holds up. Are you – are you a nostalgic Sopranos fan or are you a fan of the Sopranos for what it actually is as a show?
2: I'm a more recent watcher. Oh, OK. I never really was like super. I mean, I don't remember when the Sopranos came out.
1: There's no way of knowing. Yeah,
2: no way of knowing. Um, I think my mom said she watched it more so when it came out. So.
1: 1999.
2: OK, yeah. So I was very young. Um <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I was very young when it came out, so obviously it wasn't a show that I would have been watching at the time oh, okay. it was coming up. But
4: <laughs>
2: are there problematic things about it? Yes, there are.
1: Nineteen ninety nine.
2: Yes, yeah. but okay. it's, re- it. re- it's also I mean it's really good.
1: All right, adding it <laughs> to my list. Thank you. <laughs> um, other than that, it is officially Christmas music season. I don't know if you are pro Christmas music or anti Christmas music as a whole, Blair, but I am like. Once Halloween is over, yeah. then I start with, like, Christmas jazz. And then, yes. like, 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 Vince Guaraldi, and I have, like, a cool like jazz playlist just to kind of, like, pepper in some motif. Yeah. And then right around now is when I go, like, just balls-to-the-wall Christmas tunes.
2: Okay. Well, I, too, love Christmas music. There is a really good Christmas jazz album by Duke Ellington. I may have sent this to you before. The Sugar Rum Cherry, Duke Ellington album. It's basically just a jazz version of the Nutcracker Suite. Uh Every single song from the, from the mm. Nutcracker, but a jazz version.
1: Oh, Sugar Rum Cherry. Yeah. That's good. Like That's Sugar Plum Fairy. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: it's Duke Ellington, so obviously it's fantastic. Yep. You should add that to your list.
1: Okay, okay. I, I knew I was going to enjoy this conversation, Blair. This part, yes. this part of the.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I have a subscription to Dayglow Coffee. Ooh. Um, and so, uh, are you familiar with Dayglow?
2: I feel like I've heard rumblings of Dayglow.
1: Yeah. So, so Dayglow is like a subscription service. Okay. Um, and they just went from sourcing coffees from all over. Yeah to actually roasting their own stuff.
2: Yeah, so they were a multi roaster first and now they
1: correct. It was really, really delicious. And of course, now my mind escapes me on which one they sent me <laughs> I, I was a, it was it was an Ecuador. Okay. And it was and I don't know the notes, but it was delicious. My best friend from high school. His name is Tom. He was the owner and proprietor of Dayglo. Ooh. And so I was like, happy to support him and, and it's just been great to see them. So they're great.
2: That's so cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really proud of them.
2: Is that Florida based or? In California. Okay, cool.
1: Other than that, it is almost eggnog season, Blair. It is almost eggnog season. For me, uh, the first eggnog of the year is always on Thanksgiving. Um, if anyone wants to know, um, is Adrian a, a a militant eggnog fan in the way he is militant about all of his interests? The answer is yes. Um, uh, <laughs> Southern Comfort brand vanilla spice eggnog is the only eggnog that you should be enjoying, and I will I will stand by that.
2: You really took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth. Southern Comfort is the only one.
1: It's the best. Like
2: all others, I they don't hit the Don't same. even know.
1: No. Nope. they the same. They
2: really don't.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. So anyway, so on Thanksgiving, I, that's what I will be consuming. Uh, I had a new cocktail at a restaurant we went to just uh, two nights ago. And I had never had it before. It is a prickly pear margarita. Ooh! Um, I didn't know that a prickly pear was like a distinct sort of fruit. Yeah. But it is a essentially like a like a pear cactus or something. It's, it's I don't I don't know. But it, I don't. Yeah, know what it they're actually really
2: is. unique looking.
1: Yeah. And so they uh, had prickly pear margaritas, and so it is essentially tequila, guantro, lime juice, and then like a their own kind of proprietary prickly pear syrup. It was so good. Mm. I um have become a bit of a cocktail boy and so I'm gonna take a stab at figuring out how to make it.
2: That sounds so good.
1: It, it was really great. And then the last thing is I started re- a book series that I had read ages ago and I decided I want to circle back to it and it is The Witcher. Mm. Have you ever read any of the Witcher books? I haven't. If you're into like fantasy at all, I'm I'm enjoying it. And I found out that The Witcher uh, originally starring Henry Cavill has been recast, and Liam Hemsworth is now going to become the new Henry Cavill. And they're not changing yeah. characters; like they're just going to swap. They're just doing the old switcheroo.
2: How are they doing that? I
1: don't know. And I, they're just going. Oh yeah, he's 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 Geralt now. It's no, you know, and and you have to just suspend your disbelief. But those two are very different energies, are like very different. <laughs> vibes, like, I don't, right. I don't know. I'm gonna reserve judgment until I see it,
2: Interesting. Yeah. All right, I forgot, I, I feel like I should have asked you, but top five Christmas movies.
1: That's a great question. Okay, um, top five. I, I, I don't know if I can give it to you in order because I, I don't need more time it. to think yeah. about it. I would need more time for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home Alone 2, National Lampoon Christmas Vacation, Home Alone 1, The Holiday, and probably... Either for Christmases or Jingle All the Way, for very for different reasons. Okay, how about you?
2: Ours are similar. I mean, Home Alone one and two Great. for sure. National Lampoons. We have watched that every Christmas that I can remember. It's amazing. It is so good. I you can't. It's not Christmas without it.
1: Agreed. Truly, hundred percent agree.
2: A Christmas Story.
1: See, I've never you know hopped aboard the Christmas Story train. Okay. No judgment for you. And <laughs> don't judge I me mean, for not watching it.
2: <laughs> I think it's like a nostalgia thing for me, honestly. Like, if I was to watch A Christmas Story today, I don't know if I would love it. I don't know. I'm not saying I would. I'm not saying I wouldn't.
1: Yeah, I feel the same way about Jingle all the way.
2: Yeah. I think it's a nostalgia thing. I think it's my grandfather thought it was the funniest movie ever. He just loved it so much. And I think I loved it because he loved it. You know, he's just sure, one of those course. things. And then I really love the Grinch, the animated version, the Boris Karloff. Like,
1: yeah. I really
2: love that one.
1: That's oh, a that's great also one.
2: a nostalgia one. It's so good, though. Yeah,
1: that's a good one. That's a good one. It's okay. So good. All right. I passed the vibe check. Well <laughs> done, Blair. Well done. I think that's all that I had as far as sip, smoking, and reading. Was there anything else that you had? I
2: think that's it. Cool. Just excited for holiday cocktails. I'll yeah. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, please
1: <laughs> do. We're gonna have to swap holiday cocktail recipes. Yes. So Blair, as we kind of wrap up, where can folks find you, consume your content, support you, and partner with you? Tell us all the things.
2: So I'm on Instagram. TikTok and I am on Twitter. We'll see how much longer it lasts.
1: In this last dying breath.
2: Yeah. We this is the same week that Twitter absolutely popped off um, at Elon bed. Musk's expense. Yep. Uh yeah. It's a shit show right now. So really. who knows? We could wake up tomorrow and it could just be wiped from the <laughs> at internet. At the time no of this
1: episode's release, Twitter <laughs> can be a distant memory. <laughs>
2: Truly. I have no idea. But yes, I'm there for the moment. Great. And
1: uh, yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Everyone, if you want to uh, support Dirty Rotten Church Kids, you can go to DirtyRottenChurchKids.com. There is a Patreon. There is a merch store. Uh, You can find DRCK on Twitter and Instagram on uh, TikTok. Uh, You can send me an email, DirtyRottenCK at gmail.com. And I think that's everything. I think I threw all of it all in one. Just go to DirtyRottenChurchKids.com and it's all there. Ah, well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Dirty Rotten Church Kids podcast. Special thank you to you, Blair. Thanks so much for co-hosting this with me. This is a really good time. we got to do it again.
2: Yes, thank you so much.
1: Everyone, appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Keep up the dirty work, y'all. And remember, it's it's all all going to be be okay. okay.
0: Huge thanks to Blair from Talk Purity to me for co-hosting this episode, and special shout out to Virginia Spots from the Sheridan Tapes for adding her acting and writing to the commercial sketch. Last but not least, thanks to the bad apples that shared their stories. Take care of yourselves, and take care of each other. Every fall, my uncle Eldred used to build us a maze out of hay bales for us kids to play in. We called it hay place. Eldred called it hay world. Eventually lawyers were brought in, but that's all behind us. Pay Place Lives On